Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined as always by my fantastic co-hosts. First up, if I'm chapter one of this saga, he's chapter two, it's Matt Morgan. I went to McDonald's today, Joey, and I had a kid's meal. Turns out his mom wasn't very happy for stealing his food, though. The, oh my goodness, that's so mean of you. What about I gave the him toy? the toy. I gave him the toy. You gave him the toy? <laughs> that's the most important part. I'm glad to know that the toy is all right. That's, that's Up next, he's chapter three, only, wait, now I think that that means the saga gets sacrificed. What happens to our show now? It's Dana Roach. Uh, because preview season never, ever ends, we already got our look at the Strixhaven Magic Colleges, and you could take a little quiz Watsi put out to determine which college fit you. Um, it told me to take a gap year. So I will be hitchhiking around Innistrad, like it suggested, just to kind of find myself. Dana, that's, um, I'm really glad to hear that. That sounds like good you time. <laughs> right. Get to get to know me, bit by a werewolf, something along those lines. Something along those lines. That's so terrific. Anyway, this is the EDH RecCast. EDH Rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new commander decks. And here on the podcast, what we like to do is give all of that data a little more context. Hey, Matt, what is it that we are talking about this week? Well, you said to call to you maybe, so we're going to do call time maybe. <laughs> call time me? I, called called high me maybe oh man it, yes I, it, it seems i feel also, like carly ray jepson would be very ashamed of this effort right here <laughs> <laughs> we, we could also potentially watch a fish called heim wanda or something like that yes yeah, no. there we go <laughs> we john cleese classic all, all about Kaldheim. Kaldheim is an absolutely insane set. There is so much going on in that set that it almost has a bit of um, an eldritch feeling to me, where like to try and gaze upon it and understand the things going on there, it is too overwhelming. So we're going to do our best to go over what is currently the reigning cards from the set so far. What is the most popular stuff that we're seeing impact the commander format thus far? But before we get to that sort of pseudo backtracking set review, as it were, we're going to take a brief pause to thank the folks at the Command Zone podcast who handle all of the post-production work on our podcast here. They make it look as awesome as it does. So thank you all so much. And you know what? We'd also like to thank our sponsors for the show, too. Yeah, the EDH Recast is sponsored by Card Kingdom and a TCG player. We've seen a pretty uh, huge spike in a lot of singles prices lately, and you can take advantage of that by buy listing those cards to Card Kingdom and then use that credit to pick up the singles you want that we're going to talk about here tonight from Kaldheim. <laughs> 
TCG Player also has a pretty deep list of singles. Anything you want, any condition, um, they've got it and can get it to you quickly. So just go to EDH Rec and click on the card in question. Choose the vendor link down below and pick the card. Doing so supports both the site and the show. And if you would prefer to support the show directly, you can do so over at patreon.com slash EDHRecCast. We have all sorts of tiers available, whether you want to look at the challenge stats that we've done over the past several episodes, you want to maybe get the shows a day early even. We have all sorts of tiers available for patrons over at patreon.com slash EDHRecCast. We even have a special tier where we shout out a very, very special uh, patron every single week. So this week we do want to give a hearty and healthy and huge shout out to Friedrich Strube. Thank you so much, Friedrich. We appreciate your patronage over at patreon.com slash EDHRecCast. Thanks very, very much, Friedrich. All right, fellas, let's try and get into the stuff going on in call time right now. Right off the bat, I feel like we need to make it clear. This episode will not and cannot be comprehensive about the entire set. We're, we're going to go in a rough order of popularity with what we're seeing so far, but that means we will miss stuff because... Guys, there's so much happening in Kaldheim. It's insane. I mean, it, trying to be comprehensive about Kaldheim is like trying to be comprehensive about partner pairings. There's just there's too much for us to feasibly go go over everything. Like we would need a extended director's cut Lord of the Rings trilogy <laughs> time span in order to really knock everything out. Uh, yeah, this is this is accurate. But before we do like sort of jump in, like do, aside from like the vastness of all of the commander centric stuff happening in call time, like Dana, do you say generally like you've got your thumbs up going about call time? What's your general vibe from the set? Is this a set that you're really optimistic about? Set the tone for us. Um, I, I'm so somewhat optimistic. <laughs> um, I, I'm exhausted a little bit. <laughs> it's. it's <laughs> It's been a lot of Commander products and a lot of sets coming in at a pretty rapid pace, and there's no sign of that ending. Um, <laughs> so, so there's definitely some product fatigue uh, at work here for sure. Um, so I like the set, but it's just I, I still haven't entirely mentally processed all of it yet. Yes, uh, the, the the amount of stuff that was happening the amount of conversation you just infused into the word um i feel that dude <laughs> i totally feel that absolutely i think that each one of us kind of had a point at which like zendikar rising is kind of where we started to maybe lose a little bit of track of all the stuff that was going in the set for one of us and then for the next person it was commander legends is like oh this is the set that exhausted me and for call time it has definitely kind of knocked me out too i'm just like oh man i would love to get a chance to get to know all of these commanders but it does feel like we've been hit with so many that it's hard to get to know all of them so hopefully for at least the most popular ones going on here we can kind of help the listeners get to know what are the most impactful cards from Call Time so far? Matt, do you mind starting us off? Let's go through some of the most popular commanders from Call Time. Who's thus far taking the top spot? So thus far, our most popular commander is going to be Asika, God of the Tree, which is a one green green legendary god with vigilance. It's a one four. Uh, you can tap to add one man of any color, and you also have other legendary creatures you control, have vigilance, and tap to add one mana of any color. 
but this happens to be a five color commander because the backside is the prismatic bridge, which is a legendary enchantment for Wooburg or one of every single color. And it says at the beginning of your upkeep, you can reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal a creature or a planeswalker card. Then you put that on the battlefield and put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. Uh, this has kind of turned into the, the God tribal deck as it were. Uh, mm. There's five colors, so you can really do whatever you want, but it seems that people have kind of been latching on to the, uh, the the god tribal with all the legendary gods that you do have between Theros, between Amonkhet, and then this set, Call Time, as well, too. Oh, yeah, there's so much happening here. You've got your crew fixes, you've got your Karametras, but you've also got any of the new ones that you want to play around with, too, from Call Time as well. I wouldn't have expected Essica... I say Essica, maybe it's Essica, um, but I wouldn't have expected this commander specifically. I mean, the appeal of the Prismatic Bridge, totally cool. But with that ability, I personally wouldn't have thought that gods would be what populated this page. I totally get why it makes sense. It definitely fits in with all of this stuff going on from the set. But I fully anticipated Eldrazi to be the thing that this commander would be doing and spitting out for free every turn. You know, Eldrazi didn't really occur to me, but I knew it was going to be popular. People like this kind of effect. They like jamming a bunch of planeswalkers or a bunch of big beaters and getting to play them for free. Um, I don't find it terribly exciting for me personally, but like I'm not surprised people have found ways to make a bunch of different versions of this deck for sure. I mean, I was kind of expecting it to look a little bit like Joda from back in Dominaria, where it's yeah. the mm-hmm. five color pay five mana and you can just like cheat out whatever you want. That's kind of what I was expecting the average deck list to look like. Um, not too much overlap, but I mean, it is cool that at least f- people finally kind of attach themselves to a god creature type tribal deck um, because I think folks have kind of wanted that for a little bit. So having a god creature at the helm of that obviously makes a lot of flavor sense, which is kind of cool to see at least. One of my favorite things about Essica here too is that there's kind of a community made identity going on that we can see as it has become so popular for God Tribal. Like it reminds me a lot of Captain Sisse or of uh, Golos a little bit as well. Like Golos kind of became the de facto Gates commander because of how well he works with lands. You don't have to, you know, use Gates with him but if you wanted to play Gates that kind of became the five color place to do it. Even though the commander is very, very flexible to do whatever it is that he wants. It's almost like there's too much flexibility but at the community did kind of decide like here's a good direction for it or captain sisse uh the five color version that is also became like the place to put the shrines as well like that's not a thing that was directly communicated within the text of those cards but it's cool to see the way that the community has sort of uh, kind of like psychically converged upon those things too even when the text of the card allows for a lot more flexibility it's nice to see that we've drawn our own lines to see where it is that we want to actually put all of those cool different tropes into very flexible commanders well and, and with five color commanders there's always the turn it into a good stuff kind of deck and and Golos to an extent probably suffers from that the most but having an identity like you pointed out Joey to a Sika like yes it's kind of the the god tribal type of commander I like that point that you kind of drove home there is yes you can do anything that you want but the community is kind of coming together and and making this kind of the the god tribal face tribal Mm -hmm. commander yeah I I will say I'm not a huge fan I've commented on this before but I, I have not loved the the monocolor commanders that are essentially five color we've got in the past whether mm-hmm. it's say or or kenrith because I, I think they make things a little bit too easy for you in a five color deck and then give you a really big payoff and i yes you have to spend five mana to cast the prismatic bridge but the payoff is really huge here too 
I, I think the thought process there is if you're playing a five-color deck, the difficulty of that should give you a big reward. And I feel like the reward for playing a five-color deck is you're playing a five-color deck. <laughs> you have access to literally every card. I don't know if you need to have a really souped-up commander. And, and, and they seem to be leaning a little harder than I would like in giving you big rewards for playing five colors. I, I can sort of understand that too. Uh, one one other thing that is sort of standing out to me about the design of this commander though is that since it is so very wholly focused on God Tribal on her page as we're seeing, there doesn't appear to be a whole lot of extra time wasted towards... um manipulating the top of the deck, for example. You don't see a whole bunch of that going on here, which is kind of refreshing because no matter, you don't need to carefully play stuff on the top of your deck. Yeah, You're you, just you going to get good stuff You don't need top deck manipulation time. here, Joey. You, like, yeah. It would be nice, but you, yeah, you don't even need it because you get to reveal, it's kind of like a cascade type of effect. You don't need top deck manipulation yeah. in Nasika. It's just kind of cool because that is a strategy that I would kind of lean towards for this commander as well. But every instinct that I have for this commander is being done in a completely different way. And that's really refreshing to see. All right. How about we move on to commander number two? Because we spent a long time on this five color one. Let's move from five color to monocolor. Yeah, um, monocolor, we have a Turgrid God of Fright who is sitting right behind Asika. Um, a three double black for a, a four five legendary creature god with menace. Um and this this rules text is exhausting. <laughs> uh, whenever an opponent sacrifices a non-token permanent or discards a permanent card, you may put that card from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control. And and the flip side is an artifact uh, triggers a lantern that you can tap. Uh, target player loses three life unless they sacrifice an online permanent or discard a card. And you have a mana sink there, three and a black, to untap triggers lantern. We can move on. This thing's we can move on. That's this, <laughs> <laughs> All right, this is the, absolutely the kind of commander that like a, a person like me is so eager to break. But I also totally get that this is not the type of gameplay that you guys are here for. I very much understand because if you are doing the stuff that we see on this commander's EDA Trek page so far, it's going to be a little bit like y'all don't get to play with your own cards <laughs> because she is a hardcore discard deck where you just bottomless pit, awaken the erstwhile, make everyone discard their hands, and then you get literally every card from their hand. You get to play all of them. That is a very one-sided game of magic. And that's even before we get to the fact that this is a death cloud and small poxy type of commander that makes your opponent sacrifice their creatures, their lands. You get all of them. Why did they put it that betrays on a five mana card? It that betrays was a 12 mana card. This thing's ridiculous. Even before you get to the fact that the back half Turgrid's Lantern is an outlet for your infinite mana if you happen to make any, things busto. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's all reward. You're, you're rewarded <laughs> for casting the discard spells or the edicts or whatever it is by them doing their job. And then it's rewarding you again for doing an already very powerful thing. Well, like the, this commander turns Mind Rot into a powerhouse. And like, that's not a card you would typically associate yeah. with commander. Yeah, you, you do have to admit, even though I know, Matt, your frustration, like seriously, if I ever play a, a Turgard against you, you're going to be like, Joey. <laughs> no. I, I, I think the, I like I, I typically try to let people do their thing. Uh, this commander, like I've gone on the podcast many many times and said uh grave pact and, and dictative erebos effects they're terribly unfun especially for newer players uh this is just personified and put into the command zone and i just i really am not looking forward to playing against turgid like it, it, it would be a type of commander kind of like what i i coined as a slump buster play it once every few weeks get it out of your system but like Let's let's have people like the other three people. I like, keep that in mind. It's just not a very fun type of commander. I'm not looking forward to playing against it, and I probably will excuse myself from a lot of games 
that it's going to be involved in. Now, now your playgroup might be into that. Like there are yes. people yes. that want to yeah. fight through this puzzle. I totally get that. And no disrespect to, to anybody who wants to, to, to deal with it because I totally get how that can be fun. But I would say if you're sitting down with strangers, 90% of the time, they are not going to want to play against a stack. Yeah, I, I've never solved a Rubik's Cube. And this is that type of puzzle that I just, I don't, I personally don't have a ton of interest in. Like like Dana said, if this is the type of games that, that your playgroup goes for, that's amazing. And I, and I want you guys to all have fun with that. Um, playgroups should have, you know, their own identity. But um, I know just me personally, that's, this isn't what I'm looking for in a commander game. See, it's the kind of thing that I am like, I, I do. I'm fine with my grave packs. That is the type of uh, puzzle that my typical playgroup is totally here for. But it is not the kind of card that I'm going to force you to play against. And even, even if, Matt, like e even like assuming it's just like, yeah, this thing with the smallpox is absolutely insane. This thing stealing enemy creatures. Why is it doing that? Like this is totally insane. But even then, Matt, you got to admit that the synergy that Turgrid's got going on with a very popular card in her deck right now, Gaia Reach Sanitarium, which you can activate to make everyone draw and then discard a card. You gotta admit that that's pretty classic. Like, it's, that's funny. But but then you look at the rest of the deck and I just I roll my <laughs> eyes at this. Alright, fine. Take us to the number three most popular commander then. I will take us into the number three, uh, which is one that I actually already submitted a challenge of stats on a couple weeks ago. Orvar the All Form, which is three and a blue for a legendary shapeshifter with Changeling. Uh, whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, if it targets one or more permanents you control, you copy that permanent and you put a token on the battlefield of it. And then if you discard a copy of Orvar's somehow, um, you also get that, make a token effect there as well. Also happens to be a 3-3, three, three. not that that's super relevant, but this isn't purely just a clone type of deck. Like there's a lot of different things out there, um, some very cool things doing kind of the, the land manipulation out there as well. Spells that can target lands as mono blue being the ramp powerhouse that it traditionally is always. Yes, of course. <laughs> um, actually mono blue and in Orvar decks find ways to actually be fairly good at ramping, believe it or not. Oh, yeah. Like all of those tiny cantrips that you can target one of your own things, like a change the color of target permanent or untap target permanent or whatever. Targeting your own lands will ramp you. And that is what makes it so hilarious to see that 48% of people so far are playing lands like Cloud Post, which care about you having other Cloud Posts, which you don't like it, it, this is a singleton format. That's not traditionally something that happens. But when you're making as many copies of the cloud post that you can with those little cantor cells, that mana adds up quick. This is a commander that lets you be very creative. Um, in a lot of ways, it's the opposite of Turgrid, where you're like on a really narrow path. And I, I feel like every Turgrid deck you see is going to look like every other Turgrid deck you see. That is not the case with Orvar. I think there's going to be a lot of different variants in how people build this and the cards they run based on like what weird, crazy things they want to copy and do. So um, very, very interesting. And I, I think this is a really slick design, even if it maybe did entirely obsolete Misform Ultimus. I so Dana, I want to get on board with what you just said there, but the data that we've collected so far, I don't think supports what you just said. <laughs> well, just because you can doesn't mean people are. <laughs> yes, I think that's the important point. Like there is a lot of diversity, a lot of flexibility, a lot of cool stuff that you can do with Orvar here. But quickly, we've sort of revealed um, by collecting the data, we've kind of seen that folks have revealed this to be uh, basically a combo deck because if you use those tiny cantor spells on cards like Peregrine Drake, you'll untap your lands, and a lot of those tiny spells 
spells are things that have buyback. Stuff like uh, Whim of Volrath, for example, or Mind Games. They're little spells that target your thing that you can buy back immediately and repeatedly targeting a Peregrine Drake is going to refund all of the mana so you can do it infinitely. That will net you infinite mana. And with infinite mana and a spell that you can cast infinite times, you will get not only infinite Peregrine Drakes, but also infinite of every permanent that you control. That's a combo and a half right there. Yeah, but Mono Blue doesn't have haste, so what is it going to do for you? <laughs> it don't need haste. All, all it can also work. probably draw its entire deck with these little cantrips and then get a bunch of counter spells or a bunch of... <laughs> it's a combo deck, yeah. and I mean, it's, <laughs> it's fun that it's doing it in a way that we really haven't seen before. Um, but at the same time, I mean... There's, there's a lot of fun stuff you can be doing with Orvar that isn't just infinite combo related. And I wonder how much of that will also change when the next mono blue combo deck comes out. Because like th- mm. those tend to be decks where people chase the next good thing. And when the next thing does eventually drop, I would wager a lot of those decks become that next, you know, cool combo deck and we'll get left with the people that are building their weird oddball Orvar deck. So the data mm. I would wager looks much different two years from now. Mm, good point, good point. Dana, do you want to take us to number four now? Uh, number four, we have Magda Brazen Outlaw, one in a red for a Dwarf Berserker. Um, Magda is a 2-1 and gives other dwarves you control plus one plus oh. Whenever a dwarf you control becomes tapped, create a treasure token, and you can sack five treasure tokens to search your library for an artifact or dragon card and put it onto the battlefield and shuffle your library. Dwarf Berserker... Um, that's pretty cool to start with. <laughs> um, it does buff your dwarf, so that's useful as well. But the big thing here is whenever a dwarf you control becomes tapped for any reason, attacking or or what have you, you get a treasure and tutor off those treasures. That's a pretty interesting card. Yeah, I'm really enjoying the design of Magda, especially give me a two mana commander all the time. Like it's really cool to see what they can push at that mana cost. But this is also a deck that is torn in a lot of different directions. It is trying to be dwarf tribal, dragon tribal, artifacts matter, and treasures matter all in one deck. But it does seem to be navigating that push and pull really, really well. There's a lot of strange one mana dwarves that aren't hugely impactful, but they're just treasure collectors because then there's a bunch of really cool dragons that we're already seeing populate uh, Magda's page that are going to be awesome to just bust out onto the battlefield for free. Yeah, and just because you can be doing a lot of those different things that you mentioned, Joey, doesn't mean you have to. And I think a lot of players are kind of focusing on on one or the other. Um, It's got a really good balance. Uh, I think the really nifty part is that 77% of decks are playing seven dwarves, which is... (laughs) (laughs) it, that's just art. That's just wonderfully played by the community. Props to everyone out there. And, and you know, thematically for like his lore reasons, as far as dragons are concerned, Watsi has in the past printed more than a few dragons that have some kind of interaction with artifacts to kind of represent the dragon horde. Um, and so that kind of plays in with this as well. Like you, you want to go maybe fetch some giant dragons, but there's dragons you can go fetch that do artifacty things that then still synergize with the, the dwarf and treasure things you're also doing. Yeah, very much. I will say one thing that does kind of uh, stand out to me is that so far the data we've collected does seem to focus a whole lot on the dragon, uh, the, the cool dragon stuff as like the payoff for Magna. Um, and it doesn't seem to flesh out so much the cool artifacts that you could find with this commander too. And I 
would really love to see as we collect more data that Magda kind of like gets more of that flexibility going into because there are a very there's quite a lack of like the nine mana, the eight mana, the 10 mana artifacts that you could be summoning with this commander um, that would still be worth looking into. So don't get too distracted by the fact that it does say dragon as well. The artifact part can also really surprise your enemies if you build around that particular area. And I would love to totally see that rounding stuff out for number five. We're moving from mono red to Sultai. Yorn, God of Winter, is our number five most popular commander from Kaldheim. With about 179 decks at the current moment, it is a three mana, three, three that attacks and untaps your snow permanence, which would include your lands if you're filling out your, man ba uh, your mana base correctly. And its back half is Cauldring the Rhyme Staff, a three mana legendary snow artifact that is blue and black that lets you tap to play target snow permanent from your graveyard this turn, but it will enter the battlefield tapped when you do. Snow dot deck, you know nothing, you're in snow. Uh, yeah, and you know, you also, if you are so inclined, have the flexibility to play this as a mono green commander if you want. <laughs> Just untapping, you know, the, the 30 snow lands you're probably running in this deck because it's probably much easier to run a ton of snow lands in a mono green deck than it is in a Sultai deck is pretty powerful as a mono green commander as well. So there's some decent flex for this commander. Yeah, but why would you? <laughs> Fair point. I want to. I, I want to play the blue snow card. I want a merit lage slumber. I want to make those merit lages. Like that is what we're seeing all over this yes. page. It is very much like you've got some big power that you can pull off. Even a rhyme feather owl is going to get huge in this deck because Yorn provides you with so much mana, and all of your lands are going to feed into those things like abominable uh, tree folk. Or I think that's the card, abominable tree folk. Like those small things look small, but they are genuine win conditions for this deck. Well, and this. Also, being a Simic plus black commander, um, obviously, there's lots of just big mana synergies there, too. I mean, you've got stuff like Seedborn Muse. So you've got you've got access to all sorts of mana at all given times. Uh, there's all sorts of just crazy things that you can win with it, too, like Horizon Stone. Um, another just very, very large, big mana card. Um, who knew that adding black to a Simic deck was going to be a fairly popular thing? <laughs> Uh, this is definitely a very uh, a very diverse but frosty deck for you, Matt. Is that is that what I'm hearing? Frosty was a snowman, and <laughs> he would not appreciate you slandering his name like that. Wow. Oh, man. I like it. I like the stuff that you can do here. There's a, a nice flexibility there for those crazy powerhouses, but also you can hold on to quite a lot of mana. There's a lot of mana production going on here. But okay, so we just did the five most popular commanders. Like those are probably going to remain as the standout cards that we remember from Kaldheim in a year or two or so because they've really taken the, the top spots so far. Um, and we've kind of seen that evolution in past, you know, sets where it's just like these are the, you know, we remember Muldrotha from this core set. You know, we'll remember sort of the iconic commanders and it usually exists among the top five or so. So that's kind of where we're at with call time so far. But y'all, there are 33 legendary creatures in this set. We didn't even get to the spiciest ones. We didn't even get to some of our personal favorites. There's so much happening in this set that we cannot spend time to talk about all of them. Well, and they're also really good way down this list. <laughs> this isn't like Legends back in the day or something along those lines where like, yeah, there's, you know, 35 legendary creatures, but... 30 of them like tap for a blue mana or, or vanilla something like this is a really, really deep list. And you can go down 25 deep and be like, that's a commander that five years ago would have been the highlight of a set. Yeah, that's yeah, just absolutely. it. 
like the the worst commander from this set is still going to be like the best commander from another set. Remember those sets when we used to get like two legendary creatures <laughs> right. from any given set? Remember the years? There would go some years where we didn't get 33 legendary creatures across the entire year's worth of sets. And then this set has just like accidentally got a bunch of bonkers uncommon commanders. Do you guys have any standout favorites that are not among the top five that but that like you think really deserve a solid mention here? I mean, it, Maja or, or Maya, whatever you want to however it's pronounced uh the the breda guard protector the selesnia two green white white um it's a great selesnia commander it's it's an anthem it gives all your other creatures plus one plus one and then whenever a land enters the battlefield so just landfall you create a one one human warrior um that's nuts like the like i think in any other side if you would have put those abilities on tristani for example from from the ravnica block it would have been insane. Like it's it's crazy that this type of card is an uncommon in a set, and nobody there, there's only 42 decks out there right now to this commander. That's that's just like the type of impact that like a very sweet Selesnya commander is having right now. Yeah, that's like 21st on the list, and it's competing with not just Kaldheim but also other landfall commanders from yeah. two sets past, which was only like two months ago or something. Like it feels like there's the Kaldheim is the set of avalanche for commander. There's so much spice happening. It's literally an avalanche. It's on theme. Uh, one that kind of jumps out at me that I that I find to be interesting, and it's not terribly powerful is Narfi Betrayer King, the uh, snow creature zombie wizard that gives snow and zombie creatures plus one plus one and you can spend three snow to return Narfi from the graveyard of the battlefield. Um, it feels like such a throwback commander like if Innistrad was called Winter of Innistrad and it was a snow set somehow, this would have felt like something we got in that era where there was usually some kind of a you know random tribal commander in there that you you see and go oh this is the perfect demir zombie commander for me um it's just very much a solid throwback card that feels almost out of place here in like how kind of square and <laughs> and just even keeled it, it's the volvo of zombie commanders <laughs> It does does seem very traditional in its design. Yes. And and, and I do agree, Dana, like this is a fine commander, but like in a set like Kaldheim, there are 28 commanders above it. um, Yeah. And it's a quarter. Like we've had other (laughs) commanders like this that were like $10. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to shout out my favorite one here, which, using your analogy, is like maybe the Toyota of (laughs) Rakdos or something like that. I love Cardor Doomscourge, and it breaks my heart that he's like barely 15th on this list. Cardor Doomscourge is a 4-mana 4-3 demon berserker who goads all of your opponent's creatures when he enters the battlefield. This is Disrupt Decorum that you can blink, that you can sacrifice and reanimate. This is the type of chaos... the type of safe pillow 40 chaos that I can imbue upon the rest of the battlefield and then just sit back and no one can touch me. I am ecstatic about Cardor. He seems amazing. I want to pair this with the Conjurer's Closet so, so badly right now. I love this thing and it is an uncommon that is so far down the list, but it is one of, I think, the best Rakdos designs I've seen in a long time. I'm so ecstatic for this card, but it is just getting completely overshadowed by all of the other stuff that this set is up to. Well, and it's funny that we all pointed out three uncommon commanders which like first off three years ago getting legendary creatures that uncommon would have just been absolutely sacrilege but also like they're really cool designs that are just getting pushed down by all these other like Mm -hmm. enormous effects 
So, friends, that was a lot just for Legendary Creatures, and again, we barely scratched the surface, but if we were to talk about all of the Legends, we would be here, Matt, as you said, like a Lord of the Rings sort of situation. So, how about let's take a brief pause from all of the Legendary Creatures in the Command Zone and challenge some stats. Challenging the stats is one of our favorite segments here on the show because there's so much data on EDHREC, but we don't always agree with all of it. Sometimes we think the cards see too much play or too little play, so what we'd like to do is challenge those stats here. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Dana, do you mind starting us off? What's your challenge this week? My challenge is Path of Ancestry in Maelstrom Wanderer decks. Uh, Path is a land that comes into play tapped, and you can add one mana of any color in your commander's color identity. And when that mana is meant to cast a creature spell that shares a creature type with your commander, you subscribe one. Um, so we talked earlier in the show about maybe not needing to use top deck manipulation when you're cascading. But in this case, aside from the land coming into play um, tapped, it fixes in a three-color deck, giving you whatever color you need, and it's going to give you a free scry for no reason when you cast your commander to have a chance to get something out of the way that you don't want there. So the opportunity cost is is almost nil in a Maelstrom Wanderer deck um, to, to get rid of a card that you don't need to hit with your, with your Cascade trigger, and it probably should be in more than just 1% of decks. Yeah, Path of Ancestry's kind of got that habit. I think the availability of the card initially also maybe restricted things a bit, but it is yeah. much more easy to attain nowadays. But you don't need to be playing a tribal deck for that card to be good because it right. still happens whenever you cast your commander. Like if you're going to play the Tri-Land in three colors, this is technically better than that one. And if that one's mm -hmm. good enough, you should play this too. Well, and it's not like Maelstrom Wanderer decks never want to cast their commander ever either. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Very, very true. Yeah, you'd get a lot of scry off of that with how that deck usually will go down. Absolutely. I'll move on to my challenge now. My challenge is one of our listener submitted challenges. This is the card Murder Investigation, a two mana enchantment aura that enchants a creature you control. And then when the enchanted creature dies, you put X 1-1 white soldier creature tokens onto the battlefield where X was that creature's power. This is submitted by our user JJ Mickey, who recommended this card because its stats seem suspiciously low ever since the commander death rules change happened, where now commanders do actually officially die. Rather than going straight to the command zone, they will get those types of death triggers. He uh, mentions that he uses this one in his Tuvasa the Sunlit deck because Tuvasa can get so huge, and if it gets removed, this is a nice insurance policy after that fact. Seems like a really great place for it. I love death triggers. This is the kind of thing that I've even toyed around with in my own Rehan and Ishai deck because my creatures can get so, so huge. And I would love to have another way to make that hugeness pay off in case of emergency. Murder Investigation seems like a great thing for it. Only showing up in about 460 decks right now. But if you're looking for some other cool death triggers that do work with your commander, JJ Mickey, this is a really cool one. Yeah, Joey, I really do like that pick, uh, especially maybe like Alenda the Dusk Rose decks that obviously wants Alenda to die quite a few Ooh. times as well. Um, good pick, JJ. Mm. Uh, JJ's the reason I like this pick, not Joey, but I will credit the messenger, yes. <laughs> well, I'm going to wrap us up then with the challenge of stats this week. Um, my pick this week is actually inspired by Daquan Watson, who we had on twitch.tv slash EDH Uh 
Daquan joined us on the stream, played a few games. It was a really fun time. But there was one card that Daquan used that I just, I can't remember seeing at a commander table. And it did a lot of work. It dealt a lot of damage to all of us over the course of a game. And even, I believe, dealt the winning damage in one game. And that card is Sarkin's mm-hmm. Unsealing. Sarkin's Unsealing is three and a red for an enchantment that says, whenever you cast a creature spell with power four, five, or six, Sarkin's Unsealing deals four damage to any target. And then whenever you cast a creature spell with power seven or greater, Sarkin's Unsealing deals four damage to each opponent and each creature and Planeswalker they control. Uh, There's a lot of cast triggers going on in a lot of different decks these days. So this just happens to just add up super quick. Daquan dealt so much damage over the course of of the games. And it's just crazy to see. But I think one deck that it's not showing up at all in that I'm pretty sure would deal quite a bit of damage to just everyone is, is in Xenagos God of Revels decks. Uh, Xenagos is all about those big creatures, the big stompy, gruel type of decks. There's 32 creatures on average in a Xenagos God of Revels decks. That means there's a lot of targets out there to be triggering Sarkin's Unsealing. I just, I love this card. The fact that I kind of forgot that it even existed and then it showed up and just did so much work against all of us. I think this probably should be sneaking into quite a few more decks these days. But like I said, Xenagos God of Revels decks seems like a prime opportunity for this card. Well, we were just talking about how Maelstrom Wanderer decks tend to want to recast Maelstrom Wanderer frequently. And hey, what do you know? Maelstrom Wanderer is seven power. Yeah, that's... Feels like oh, it might be no. a good fit there as well. That's a Storm's oh. Wrath to every player and just, yeah, uh, that's that's a lot of damage. This this has given me some, some bad flashbacks of losing games to a lot of damage from this enchantment. And I'm really glad for uh, Daquan like, bringing it to light. I'm really glad for you mentioning it here. And I'm also really sad because that was a lot of damage. I, so don't, I don't think Daquan cast Bring to Light. That's a Simic card and he was playing Rith a lot. So um, <laughs> oh, not sure that really works. Goodness, Matt, that's hilarious. Thank you very Just much. Just keeping you honest. Keeping you honest. <laughs> You're a delight. All right, guys, let's move back to talking about cards that go in the 99. Instead of the command zone, we're going back to those Kaldheimy cards, taking a look at the most popular ones that we saw there. Up first, like one of the biggest impacts that we will feel from Kaldheim for a while definitely takes the form of the land cards. Like the most popular card that we're seeing so far based on percentage here is the new The World Tree, a tapped green land, but it can also give your lands the chromatic lantern effect if you have six or more of them. They can all tap for any color of mana that they want. And it even has this extra bonus ability that secures it as a five color identity only card where you can pay two mana of every color to go and fetch out all of the gods from your deck. But this is not a god tribal only card. This is an amazing mana fixer for any five color deck in the form of a land. That's awesome. Yeah, if you're playing a five color commander, I feel like you should have this in your deck every single time. And if you don't have a five color commander, you probably should pick one up in case you ever go to five color commander because you're going to want it in that deck. I mean, it's like it's just five color staple. I think. Do you, do you remember when Chromatic Lantern was kind of a must play? And like at this point, Chromatic yeah. Lantern's almost getting power crept out of the format because you're just putting it <laughs> yeah. on lands by a land. Yeah. By land. Oh, no. Yeah, this thing's absolutely bonkers. But that's not the only impressive land from the set so far. We've also got the finished pathways. They're falling around like between 19 to 17% adoption rate so far. But that's also sort of about where the Zendikar rising versions of these lands also fell. So we can look forward to those seeing a good deal, a good chunk of play uh, coming up in the future, especially in two color decks. 
Yeah, I, I like the pathways. Yeah. Anytime we get a, a, a dual land that comes into play untapped, especially when it's like $3 is what a majority of these are. Like these are just good budget pickups. Grab them for whatever, you know, color combinations you really need. And they're just they're just great. The, the next lands that are seeing a lot of play here are the tapped snow duels. So those are the lands that come into play tapped and they have both uh, land types for, for each possible pairing and their snow lands. Um, so they range in popularity from 20% adoption for the green-blue one to 8% for the Boros one, which <laughs> seems statistically correct based on what we've ever <laughs> talked about in the past. Indeed. Um, You'd expect these to be weighed a little more towards enemy color pairs because there's the fewest finished dual land cycles for enemy colors. But for now, they're falling mainly among like the traditional breakdown of color popularity. So mm -hmm. the more popular color pair is, the more likely they are to run them versus any kind of a bias towards the, the enemy color pairs that have less possible cycles. Yeah, which I'm really looking forward to having more, especially fetchable duels in like Boros, for example, in Golgari. Like that just feels better to have them because we're surprisingly short on dual lands and enemy colors. Yeah, and it's not even the fetchable stuff necessarily, at least for me. Like I wound up putting two of these in decks, but it was because specifically of the, the basic land typing that affected other things. You know, being able to have another duel and it's also a swamp made a difference in my deck that has pestilence effects that require swamps to do things. Um, and I wound up putting the the Gruul one in my Mina and Dagn landfall deck because there's things there that care both about forest count and about the mountain count. So mm. that wound up being a much bigger deal for me than just the ability to go fetch these. Yeah, the, the, the being able to be fetched, like I don't think that impacts all that many players like they're a nice budget option if you're you're needing them and need an extra yeah. one but at the same time this also is probably in in those situations probably like the third or fourth land cycle i would go to if we're trying to get fetches but they are they're a nice budget dual land um that if you need them and you, you happen to pull a, a windswept heath from a pack back in the day um, these are just a fine option to, to help with your color fixing um yeah they're they're, they're fine cycle i don't don't hate seeing them around yeah, I'm, I'm really happy for them. And, you know, they're also kind of weighted more towards the snowy uh, Sultai ones for Yorn, definitely showing up a bit more in popularity. But there's a lot to like about these, especially at Common. It's kind of insane. But those are just the lands. Let's not spend too much time talking about the lands because the non-land cards in the decks are also, like, there's so many impactful ones going on there, too. Like, kind of first up, I'll combine sort of a trio of foretell cards that are showing up quite a bit thus far. We've got stuff like Raven Form, which can exile an artifact or creature and give its controller a 1-1 bird that foretells for just one blue mana. There's Mystic Reflection, which is usually two mana, but again, foretells for one, and that can have you choose target non-legendary creature, and the next time that one or more creatures or planeswalkers would enter the battlefield this turn, they will become copies of that creature that you chose. You can do some crazy stuff with that for especially any creature that makes tokens as it enters the battlefield, like holy wow. And then there's also Saw It Coming, the Counterspell, which foretells for one and a blue. All of those are really interesting, especially because of a fun statistic that I I noticed here decks that contain one of those about 50% of the time also contain another one of those. So just like when we were talking about that sort of domino deck building where including one card causes you to want to play others, that is definitely true for these foretell cards because you want to be able to bluff which foretell card it is. So you want to have more than just one of them. Yeah. Once you've decided you want to run one of these, then the other ones become better just because they can disguise what you're doing. So mm -hmm. that's really kind of an interesting thing with this triple pairing for sure. 
And so coming up after all these foretell cards, uh, we do have actually a real creature this time. Uh, Realmwalker comes in, uh, seeing play in about 12% of decks. It's two and a green for a shapeshifter changeling, two, three, and when Realmwalker enters the battlefield, you choose a creature type. And you can look at the top card of your library at any time, then cast spells of the chosen type uh, from the top of your library. So it's just a tribal, tribal type of card. Um, I'm sure some of our friends over at the MTG Goldfish podcast love seeing some more changelings that you can just get all sorts of different creature types going. Um, but it's a fine card. You know, if you're playing really any tribal deck with green in it, this is probably something you want to be considering. Yeah, especially those tribes that are kind of lean on like really good creatures, whether it's like there's not that many really spectacular dogs or wolves or cats, even in a Ravo deck, and being able to play this as something on tribe that also has a really good kind of future sight-esque ability there um, is a really difficult thing to ignore when you have the option to kind of de facto make it whatever your tribe is in those those style decks. Oh, see, I, I thought Slivers needed more help, and that's where this would shine. <laughs> yeah, maybe, uh, yeah. Slivers? No. Thus far, where we're seeing Realmwalker sort of crop up is definitely in, like, Lathril, for example, the new elf tribal uh, commander. This is one that can help you find even more elves off the top, which is one of those tribes that does tend to play over a third of the deck is going to be full of those particular types. So you should be able to hit it a lot more often than another tribal deck might. Um, Ayula, Queen Among Bears, is also seeing a lot of play for this. Dana, you mentioned dogs and cats. Rin and Sari is making nice use of Realmwalker too, because this is a changeling that will trigger both of those things for Rin and Sari to make both types of tokens. And then finally, here's one that's going to scare you a little bit. Reaper King is also really <laughs> enjoying Realmwalker because it is a scarecrow and Reaper King gone destroy something. And there's not many good scarecrows. That makes sense. There really aren't. So this is a welcome sight. After Realmwalker, who are we seeing next? I think that Dana, was this the, um, was this the problem card? Um, this 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 is a card that has been banned from uh, places recently. Uh, places. Tibalt's trickery. Whoever thought a card with the name Tibalt in it would get banned? But here we are in 2021, where anything can happen. Oh, no. um, one in a red for an instant, and you counter target spell. One in a red, counter target <laughs> spell. I did not say that incorrectly. Uh, choose one, two, or three at random, and its controller mills that many cards then exiles cards from the top of their library until they exile a non-land card with a different name than that spell. They may cast that card without paying its mana cost and then put the exiled cards in the bottom of the library in a random order. So you're polymorphing a spell, essentially. Um, that's interesting, <laughs> and it's really efficient at one in a red, and it's red. <laughs> there, there's a lot going for this card for sure. I mean, I will absolutely counter your Cyclonic Rift, even if it means that you get some big yes. seven mana creature in play, because I don't want you to cast a Cyclonic Rift. Like Even even if it gets a whelming wave off of it. <laughs> right. <laughs> how how but, dare you, Matt? Especially if you're not in blue. Like, like if I was playing an Izzet deck, I don't think I want this at all. But if I'm, you know, playing Rakdos or something, when you don't have a lot of options sometimes to deal with, with various different card types... That seems really a really, really good way to to solve a problem that if it hits the field, you are not going to be able to solve at any point. Yeah, it's, that. it's just a chaos warp type of counter spell. It's it's that type yeah. of way to get around it. It's it's a fine card. I know there's some people kind of doing some uh, some degenerate stuff with it, but like we said, that, that that's for modern. We'll we'll leave them be. Yeah, no, Tibble's Trickery, Daniel, just like you mentioned, is so far most common in mono red and in Rakdos decks thus far, um, which is a good 
thing to see is like that is the applicability. This is a very defensive card that does something absolutely zany um, and it is getting very, very much good use out of itself from there. Moving on, we also see somewhat popular cards like Binding the Old Gods, a saga for mana that is a green and black saga that destroys a non-land permanent and opponent controls, searches your library for a forest card and puts it right into play, and then also can give all of your stuff death touch. This is a simple enchantment, but it being recurrable and, you know, stuff like Muldrotha, for example, is giving it a bit more popularity. Plus, a lot of those creature types that can get big and get trample are eyeing that death touch ability on the final chapter a little suspiciously and a little dangerously. Yeah, Binding of the Old Gods, you, you get so much mana value out of this one card. It's it's super great. It's a kill spell. It's a ramp spell. It's, it's a way to get rid of blockers or at least scare people away from blocking. It's just it does so much for an uncommon like that's just kind of the theme of this set like you're there's so much going on on every single card. Yeah, I mean, it's essentially a Maelstrom Pulse that's going to sit around for two more turns and give you more value. And Maelstrom <laughs> Pulse is a pretty good card. Especially if you can proliferate this thing or remove counters from it, which is a thing that a lot of decks, especially in these colors, are going to be able to do. I would watch out for that. Of the removal spells that uh, Black and Green tends to get, stuff like Death Sprout, I've definitely been kind of like, eh, I'm not sure if I have room for some of those, especially at four mana. But the manipulation that you're able to pull off with this, even when it is sor sorcery speed, is actually very impressive. Uh, let's see who's coming up next. Hey, is Dana, is that another Tybalt card? That seems like another Tybalt card. I might be wrong. It could be a, a lie, maybe, about this card. It looks to be Tybalt that we're talking about again for being good. <laughs> I, it's 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 a mystery to me, too. I don't quite know how to, how to parse We're not used to saying good and Tybalt in the same sentence. Yeah. It's strange. Yeah, uh, we have Valky, God of Lies, one in black, uh, for 2-1 God. And when Valky enters the battlefield, each opponent reveals their hand. And for each opponent, exile a creature card they reveal this way until Valky leaves the battlefield. Um, and then you can spend X and choose a creature card exiled with Valky uh, with CMC cost of X. And Valky becomes a copy of that card. Um, and that's not a tap ability, mind you. So you can play Valky and still have mana free because he only costs, you know, one in a black to cast. Still have mana free to use that ability immediately to make him a copy of whatever the scary thing was that you exiled from someone's hand. That's not even half the card. And we haven't even got to the back. Like, that's a... <laughs> right. That's really good for just that half of the card. <laughs> and that's because, not even the part that I want to cast. Like, right. <laughs> right. So, like, the, the typical Cosmic Imposter, this half is seven mana, five loyalty. As it enters the battlefield, you get an emblem with, you may play cards exiled with typical Cosmic Imposter, and you may spend mana as though it were any color of mana to cast those spells. He can plus two to exile the top card of every player's library. He can minus three to exile an artifact or creature, and he can minus eight to exile all cards from all graveyards. How dare he? And he adds three red mana for you. So he is setting up a card advantage engine. Granted, it's at seven mana, but the flexibility between these two halves and the late game powerhouse potential that he's able to pull off, especially by filling up your hand by exiling all of those graveyards at the end, this dude is absolutely insane. He's showing up in 10% of decks that can play him already as the you know this set is coming out i can totally see why this is not just a pretty cool card advantage effect for rakdos but it's also just a fun one well and it's funny that you say for seven mana you used to be able to cast him for effectively three mana by cascading into him but thankfully <laughs> that loophole has been closed um but 
but but yeah tybalt just that emblem alone is just insanely powerful uh the the fact that you can exile them even if tybalt gets removed you still can cast them later on it's just this is a it's seven mana (laughs) worth of just powerful effects for sure but man there's a lot going on in this card because there's two sides. Just imagine being back in 2012 in a time traveler shows up and says, someday in the not-too-distant future, Tibalt will be in your command zone, and he'll be amazing. Oh, yeah. Don't even... Okay, and so that's actually just it. Like, we've gone through a couple of cards, but we're right. already running out of time before we can address a whole bunch of the other ones going on here. Tibalt would be also a really cool commander to have that Planeswalker half that you can cast from the command zone. That also sounds really cool. But, like, we would have to talk for probably another hour before we get to the cards that even I'm personally really excited to talk about in the context of being in the 99. Goldspan Dragon, for example, a 5-mana 4-4 dragon that makes you treasures and doubles their efficacy by doubling their mana output. Vornclex Monstrous Raider. I am so excited to put that into so many of the 99s of things because it doubles up your counters when you put them and your opponents can't get counters. Like my Rayhan deck is so excited for this card. I cannot even like we didn't even talk about Turgrid in the context of being in the 99 instead of in the command zone. There are so many cards that we just do not have time to talk about the elf tribal stuff going on here. All of the different things that could go into your deck if you happen to be running some snowlands. There is so much happening in this set. It is stunning. Yeah, there, it's it's so easy to just forget about so much of this set, which stinks because there there's a lot of heaters. Um, remember sagas? Those are in this set, believe it or not. I hate to to like break news for you. <laughs> But like they, there's so much cool stuff and like the gods are very cool in the 99 of decks. There's there's snow, like you said, there, man, the, the set is is absolutely packed and it stinks that it's like it's all competing with itself. Yeah, so like that's just it. We would not have time to go through all of this nearly as comprehensively as this set deserves. But just because it would take so long for us to get to some of our personal favorite cards that probably, like you said, Matt, are competing with themselves that are getting a little bit buried right now. Guys, if there are specific, uh, specific cards that you want to, I don't know, challenge the stats that should be showing up more cards that you think are really, really impressive that you want to see near the top of this page shout them out now because there's so much happening here and every one of these cards deserves some limelight um you know i have a couple i'll, I'll, I'll reference here quickly um i think um uh Immersturm predator is really really solid for four mana for a three three vampire dragon it's a vampire dragon that's amazing um <laughs> but it's, it's a sack all what you can sacrifice another creature and it gains indestructible at the end of turn and you can tap it when you do that and whenever it becomes tapped you exile a card from a graveyard and put a counter on it. So it's a, you know, flyer with evasion that's going to empty out problem stuff from graveyards. And it's a sack outlet that you can use infinitely when you have to. And it will survive people's board wipes if you have a creature you can sack to it. I mean, I think it's gross in a Corvald deck, but it's pretty good in a whole bunch of decks. And no one's even talking about it because there's still 50 better cards in this set. <laughs> And another one I'll, I'll quick throw out there that I think is really, really solid is Showdown of the Skulls, which is a um, saga for four mana, two, and Boros. And it's essentially the Boros version of Harmonize. Basically, you get to um, use the impulse draw on the top four cards of your library. So it's not even – Harmonize is only three for four mana. This this is four, and you have until the end of your next turn to play those cards – and then it sticks around, and whenever you cast a spell this turn, put a plus one counter on target creature you control for the next two turns, which isn't amazing, but I don't even know if I care at that point if I've been <laughs> able to get four deep, 
to cast in a Boros deck. You actually stole that one from me, Danny. You you looked ahead on the show notes. Did I? <laughs> and I am very angry. I'm not really angry. This card is like just sweet. Like everything that Boros decks yeah. Like that we've been asking help for, this card does. Like, can you imagine this deck in Joey's mm-hmm. Feather deck? Like, like this card, yeah. y- you're gonna get like a 2020 or 2021, I guess. Excuse me, Feather. Like, really, really quick with this card out. It's 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 sweet. Like, you you get to essentially draw four cards, then you're gonna beef up creatures. Like, it, this card does everything, and I I just I love this. And then another card or I guess a category of cards that we kind of almost forgot so far this episode too is all the tribal support that just a bunch of different tribes seem to get. Righteous Valkyrie is a angel that doesn't cost seven mana to cast, which is a godsend, pun intended, because angels, you know. Um, Party hard. <laughs> but but just like having this tribal support for all these tribes that didn't really get a lot of love in, in previous sets, um, having a three mana angel to come down and rewards you and still you know, is relevant later on in the game. Rampage of the Valkyries. There are sagas that help angels. Uh, There's just a lot of really cool tribal stuff that I'm just excited to see for tribes that maybe didn't really have a whole lot of support. Now you can kind of flesh out a better and better functioning deck. Let's just be honest with some of these different tribes. Mm -hmm. There's the, (laughs) like looking at those, I was also thinking like uh, angels and demons. There's a demon in this set that I am cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs over. It is Burning Rune Demon. It is a six mana, six, six flying that searches your library for two cards and then you only get one of them. The other goes to the graveyard. This feels like Rune Scar Demon to me, but a new one that puts stuff into my graveyard. I am so excited for it. Guys, it is nearly at the bottom of the page for the Kaldheim data that we have so far. It is that far down the page. This demon that I'm really, this mythic that I really want to play is like so far from the top of the page. The data is like, it's just like my heart. I really want to see how this will evolve, but I don't know if it will get the chance to. I don't know that all of these cards can shine because the Kaldheim effect that we're seeing here, especially when it's been followed up by Zendikar and Commander Legends so swiftly, this is truly an avalanche of a set because a lot is getting buried pun intended and if it, if it makes you feel better or worse i guess there's a there's a common it's one in a black for a one one elf cleric that when it enters the battlefield each opponent discards a card elder fang disciple uh, that's played in more decks than all the cards we just got done talking about. <laughs> so, so that's just it. Like we would not be able to have a comprehensive thing about like, here's where everything is, but we've gone over at least as much of the most popular cards, especially the commanders. And then the cards in the 99 to follow that are sort of the iconic quote unquote things, the things that we will most likely remember the, the stellar standouts from this set so far as we see them. And of course it could evolve from that point, but it does seem at the end of the show, I feel like we should take a moment to just reference the fact that this is a set that Matt, just as you said, is kind of serving to overshadow itself a little bit. Yeah, there's just there's so much going on here. Like it, it's so hard to fully kind of grok everything that's going on. Like I sat down, opened up Scryfall and went through the, the set spoilers because I was trying to update my decks and like it felt like work. Uh just <laughs> trying to keep track of everything. Like I I personally got discouraged and gave up like it it feels like this set especially on the back of zendikar resurgent commander legends the the year that was 2020 just with all the commander cards it feels very forced upon us and it like Hmm. 
maybe the hipster in me, not quite Dana, but like when something is forced upon me, it makes me not want to do it. And so like I, I'm kind of discouraged or disinterested in call time just because there's so much going on. Like I just want some space to kind of breathe. And I don't know if call time is really giving that to us. Uh, yeah, and I don't think that pace is going to end anytime soon. I mean, I, I would be shocked if we got less than 30 legends in Strixhaven as well. So I sure. think this is just the new normal and our bodies need to adjust. I think we're, it's the commander equivalent of being a trucker on a, on a cross country run and we just need to start pounding caffeine and uh, get, getting used to the fact that sleep is no longer an option. Well, well like the, we, we talked a long time ago on this podcast about the, the concept of creative capital. Like we only have so much creative juices to kind of invest in the game. And like, I personally, like, I feel like I've run out. Like I, I see all the legends. It feels like there's more legendary creatures than non-legendary creatures, um, which I don't think is accurate, but like, it's just kind of the point where like if everything is special then nothing is special and like to your point Dana, like this probably is the new norm i don't so i agree that it does seem to be the new norm it's just like we just got done with the year of the commander and i'm like well what is this supposed to be because this feels like it was the year of the commander too it seems sort of like matt as you were mentioning a while ago like is this going to be the decade of commander because that certainly seems to be where things are going um and as you've noted is that it does not give us a whole lot of room to breathe i think that really where my concern with some of this comes from is like like a little while ago one of our more popular episodes i think was like when we talked about just overshadowed commanders especially from past sets and we've talked about that commander avalanche like we saw in dominaria that doesn't allow some of the really cool designs to get their time in the spotlight and call him is doing that with itself but it is also doing that to commander legends like some of the Commander Legends stuff is being overshadowed as a result of how impressive Kaldheim is. I'm not quite dour about all of this. I'm just so excited with the stuff in Kaldheim that I'm not able to focus in all of the ways that I would like <laughs> to be able to, really. And and my concern, especially, is that I don't like I'm afraid of cards being overshadowed from the set because there are really cool designs in the set that could get overshadowed. And when things get overshadowed, it might create an impression for employees of Wizards of the Coast making all these cards that we didn't like those designs that don't have a lot of numbers behind them. But that's the thing. I really like these designs. I think there's a really cool designs, but we haven't had the opportunity to show how much we enjoy them because there's so much else happening that's kind of covering them up. And that's what I'm afraid of, that this might accidentally send the wrong message when we really do like it. We just haven't been given the setting so that we can show how much we appreciate them. Well, and I heard jokingly that for for competitive formats, for 60 card formats, every set since Commander or not since Commander Legends, every set since Modern Horizons has been Modern Horizons. Um, every <laughs> set since War of the Spark has been War of the Spark when it comes to Commander. Like if you would have showed a player three years ago, Coma, the, the Simic Legendary Serpent, and said, like, this is going to be a card, like, I would have pooped my pants. That card is <laughs> insane, but, like, but it's, what, sixth on the list as far as most popular Legendary Commanders because we've had so many just insane, especially in Simic Commanders, that, like, it's not really forgettable, but, like, people just don't seem to care as much because we're, we, we've kind of been conditioned, like, and I agree with your point, Joey, that uh, some of these designs, some of these cards, like they are super cool. Like uh, Bergy, the mono red commander that gives you mana whenever you cast a spell. That's a really cool, like there's a lot of potential there. And I think if this would have been released three years ago as well, 
like I, I think the, the popularity of that commander would have been significantly higher and obviously less overshadowed if we would have gotten it just in the times that were before this kind of current design age. And I also one benefit definitely of, of this kind of um, paradigm we're in right now is, you know, a few years back, if we got the new commanders from whatever set it was and you wanted to build something and you look at the list like, well, there's there's these three or four that are kind of interesting or decent, um, but everyone's going to build those three or four interesting or decent commanders. And then down the list, you get like ones clearly made for draft or standard that don't do anything in our format or aren't aren't interesting or decent in our format that left you with very few options. Today, you can go 30 commanders on the list and be like, all right, no one's playing this. This will be something interesting. Like, And still have it be a fun commander that you can build a cool deck around and have it also not be something someone else around is going to be playing because they've had to choose between the other 700 options we got in the last 12 months. <laughs> so I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a positive as well. It's just a little bit exhausting, particularly when you couple that with the fact that no one's left home in the last 11 months. Especially that, yes. I mean, that makes I, I a difference think, too, I think. Uh, 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 not uh, like, because I'm again not dour about this, but I am just like, I really hope that Wizards here is that we still do like a lot of these yeah. commanders and these cards, even if their data doesn't look like we like them. Like, that is my, I want to send that message out. Like, don't take the data to be an absolute thing that we don't like these cards because we do. They have just been overshadowed by themselves. But another thing, another positive that I really want to inject into this too is that with all of this extra stuff happening, especially at this rapid a pace, while Matt, you've expressed that it is kind of tough to keep up with, I absolutely absolutely share that sentiment. It is still in some ways kind of nice that it really will increase the variability that we'll feel from game to game. There is a greater likelihood with, you know, this rapid pace, I would say, that when we sit down across from uh, an opponent, they will probably be playing cards that we have not heard before because we've gotten so many hundreds of new impactful ones. And that is something that we did kind of appreciate about Commander, you know, back in the old days, as I'm sure Dana would love to call them. <laughs> like, is that a positive spin? Maybe? Am I reaching a bit for it? I don't know. It just seems like a nice sentiment in, in my head at least. Yeah, the, the days of using Grim Grin Corpseborn as your Demir zombie commander because it was the only legendary zombie Demir commander <laughs> at the time and didn't really care about other zombies are gone. Whatever you want to do, there's going to be an option out there. And that's a really good thing for a whole lot of people. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. Like there are totally like this is so much. Matt, th this is the buffet, basically. Like yeah. this is a whole lot. And sometimes we don't always want a buffet. Sometimes we want the more delicately curated meal. Oh, no, I, I always want a buffet. I always want <laughs> Well, but you're the one who's going to like, I don't know. Call time seems like a whole lot. So like, that, that, I mean, that's that's all, that's all that, I'm saying. That is, that is true. My, my plate is very, very full from this buffet. Yes. Yeah, exactly. This is at the end of the day for me, like the, the avalanche, I keep using that word and I know that it's a pun, but it really does feel like it. This is one of the most impactful commander sets I think I've ever seen. And even then we won't even be feeling its full impact. And that's what's both impressive and a little bit terrifying about it. Guys, this has been a whole lot. Kaldheim, me, maybe if that's still a funny joke after even trying to consume all of that stuff, let's go ahead and call this episode to a close. What do you say? So, uh, fellas, thank you so much for joining me. And if our listeners would like to get in touch with us, where is it that they can find us all? Matt? So you can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55. That's M-A-T-H-I. 
IMUS55. And don't forget, Wednesday evenings, we are streaming over at twitch.tv slash edhretcast. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we had Daquan Watson on. He was an awesome guest. Uh, come up here soon, Ellie of the Veil, uh, a good friend of the podcast. Uh, she will be joining us this coming Wednesday, so make sure you tune in there. Um, she'll make sure that she dunks on all of us. She did last time. She probably <laughs> will again this time. Absolutely. And Dana. You can find me on the Twitter birds at Dana Roach. You can hear me on my other podcast, CMDR Central, and I'm writing articles for both EDH Rec and Commander's Herald. You can also find all of us together at patreon.com slash EDHRecCast. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter, and you can find the cast at EDHRecCast on both Facebook and Twitter as well. Plus, if you have a question, you can contact us at EDHRecCast at gmail.com. Our thanks will go out once again to the whole team at the Command Zone for handling the post-production work on our podcast here, and our thanks to our sponsors for the show. They are TCG Player and CardKingdom.com. You can find them using the price info links on EDHREC, or you can visit CardKingdom.com slash EDHREC, and that shows your support for the show. Listeners, We'll be back at you next week with more data and insights. But until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. Mm-hmm.